passages that's really seminal in reminding us what the church is all about. It's 1 Peter chapter 2. These might be some familiar verses to some of you. Peter, remember, Peter was one of the original disciples, and towards the end of his life, he wrote some epistles that are referred to as general epistles because they weren't to any specific audience, but they were to all of the churches that he had that he administered to all of the places where he had an influence. They were kind of his, his uh, final words as he was on his way out, you know, writing from the retirement home for, for retired apostles to, uh, to all the churches that he had established. And he's, he's giving them some notes on what it means to be the church and, and what their identity is as those who, who form the church. And, and this is what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 6. He says, you come to him, he's the living stone, who was rejected by humans but is chosen by God and is precious to him. And you also, like living stones, are being built to be a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And this is God's word for us this morning. You know, it's somewhat ironic. Jersey City, if you go around the old parts of Jersey City, one of the things you notice is that there are a ton of churches in Jersey City. In fact, there's so many churches, you wonder who, when was there a time when all of the seats in all of these church buildings, and by that I mean church buildings, when was a time when all of the seats in all these church buildings were actually full on Sunday morning? And so there's all these church buildings everywhere, and yet here we are repurposing a cafeteria and making it into a church. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, a lot of the old church buildings around Jersey City are either being torn down. I drove by one again just on, on Ocean Avenue. There was an old Baptist church that I'd seen, and I, I drove down Ocean Avenue this morning to pick someone up, and, and it was, the church was gone, and, and a new, it looked like a new condo was going up in its place, and, uh, and so, so all, all the old churches are, are being shut down or repurposed, and then a uh, cafeteria is becoming a portable church. We actually, did you know there's actually a company called Portable Church Industries that we contracted with for, to get all these bins and stuff? That's actually a thing, portable, the industry of a portable church. Uh, you know, you look at all the buildings, and many of the church buildings actually, honestly, if I'm being honest, a lot of the church buildings in Jersey City we couldn't really meet in because, you know, what we actually did meet in one of those old church buildings for a while. Some of you remember. And we had to leave because it was a beautiful church building, but it didn't have heat or air conditioning or indoor plumbing. And, uh, you know, when they put porta potties in the basement and told us to use them, we said that, that was our cue that it was time to move on. So uh, this is not as... Uh, spectacular to look at, but at least the toilets flush every time, so, <laughs> so that, that's good. But, but the reality is that even as the world changes, God is doing a new thing in Jersey City and doing a new thing around the world. You know, the reality is, some of you know this, but we're just one of probably a dozen new churches that are meeting in random places around Jersey City today. You know, if you were a church tourist, you could visit another one each Sunday for a couple of months and not, not have to repeat. But, uh, 
but there are new churches of different shapes and sizes popping up in Jersey City even as we speak. And there are literally hundreds of churches in the greater New York area, and there's thousands of churches in America that are like ours. And around the world, there's millions, in fact, billions of believers gathering on Sunday. And most of them are gathering in non-traditional places, in uh, non-established facilities, but they all share a common faith in God, a common, a common pursuit and a common experience of of the Holy Spirit. You know, in, in a lot of ways in America today, people talk about how the church, the, follow, the, the, the institutional church, the organizational church is struggling to adopt to the changes in society. But at the same time, the church is exploding in surprising ways all over America. Not, not just here, but, but in the South and the West. There's all kinds of new forms of the church. And, and usually what the place that you find those new manifestations of the work of the Spirit of God is not in church buildings, but it's in auditoriums, it's in stadiums, it's in people's living rooms, in house churches, it's in arenas in, in, uh, that, that, that have been repurposed for houses of worship, it's in schools where people are setting up folding chairs and setting up every Sunday for, 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 for church, because the church is, continues to to show up in all kinds of surprising ways. Because here's the, one of the interesting things about Christianity among world religions. Think about this. If you think about this, you'll, you'll, you'll realize it's true. You think of Hinduism, one of the major world religions. But if you look at a map of the world, you can draw a circle in, in India and draw a circle around 98% of the... Hindus in the world pretty easily because they all live in one concentrated area. You think of Buddhists, another major world religion, but 99% of the Buddhists in the world live in a, a very easily demarcated area in, in Asia and in East Asia and China and Japan and, and, and those other countries around there. You think of Islam, another major world religion, 1.4 Muslims in the world, but 95% of them live in, in North Africa, in the Middle East, and, and you'd have to make two circles, really, one in, one in North Africa in the Middle East, and then another one in Indonesia and, and, that, and that area. And, and you would cover most all the 95% of the Muslims in the world. But you know what? For Christianity, you can't do it because the Church of Christ and the message of Christ and the followers of Christ are everywhere. They're in Africa and in South America. They're in North America and in Central America. They're in, in the Far East, in China, in Korea, in, in Europe. And, and uh, in spite of what people talk, say about the decline of the church in Europe today, there's all kinds of, of new manifestations of the church blowing up in, in Western Europe as well at the same time. So. So Christianity pervades this globe in a way that no other religion does. And people around the world speaking different languages from different tribes and, and different backgrounds are all connecting to Christ in surprising ways. You know, today, the church is struggling. Frankly, the church is struggling in a lot of ways in America and, and in, in the place where it was historically established. But it's, it's exploding in the Far East and in Korea, in South America, in Africa, and places like that. And so our little church in a cafeteria is actually 
part of a global movement. We're part of something that's much bigger than we can even imagine because God is at work around the world and we're just one little manifestation of that. And, you know, the, over the years I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of pastors from all over the world and sometimes even had to talk, speak through translators because we didn't speak the same language. But one of the remarkable things when you meet Christians from other Christian, other nations, when you meet followers of Christ from other nations, when you meet spiritual leaders from other nations, is, is even if you're speaking through a translator, even if you can't communicate directly, you realize that you've got something in common, that there's a common spirit, there's a common faith, there's a common hope that we all have. Because, you know, the, the reason for this is because the church as such isn't about a building or even about a crowd of people. It's not about a label or a denomination or anything like that. The church is all about following Christ. In this passage, Peter says, you come to him. You come to Jesus, the living stone. We're here because we're following Jesus. The church on all seven continents is exploding with people who are following Jesus, who are discovering Jesus, whose lives are being changed by Jesus, whose lives are being restored and redeemed by Jesus, who's, who are experiencing the power of Jesus in their life, who are experiencing the redemption of Jesus, who are experiencing the hope that Jesus gives, regardless of their language, regardless of their background, regardless of their social or economic status. They're discovering that, and that's what's gathering the church around the world today. We come to him the living stone. And that's the reason the church is global, that it's not confined to one little region of the world, but it's all over the world, because all over the world, the message of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus is at work in surprising way. And the church is first and foremost, the church lives and dies on a personal encounter with Jesus. When a church becomes about a building or about a political agenda or about a... a ethnic group or something like that, the church ultimately withers because political agendas and ethnic groups don't need Jesus. But when the church is about Jesus, when his spirit is at work, when his power is at work, that's when the church comes alive. That's when the church starts making an impact on its city and an impact on its, on its community and starts making a difference in the world. It's all about Jesus because regardless of where you're from, regardless of your background, if you discover his love, his compassion, his grace, his healing, his hope, and his victory, that can change your life. That can change everything about you. And that's why even today, across the world, people still celebrate his birth. Even though he was born 2,000 years ago, it's a global holiday, Christmas, the birth of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Across the world, people still study his teachings. People still study his life and the record of his life. People still remember his death every week, and people still hope in his resurrection and his restoration. You know, it, but there's a problem there. A lot of people see a disconnection between the church and Jesus. In fact, I heard our generation described this way once. It said, they like Jesus, but they don't like the church. Have you ever felt that way? And that, that's kind of a legitimate thing. I, I understand where people are coming from in that regard. Because as I, so many people who I talk about, when, who I talk to, when I tell them I'm a pastor, the first thing they tell me about is some terrible experience they had with a pastor 
last year or 10 years ago or, uh, but no, nobody's had a terrible experience with me, of course, but, <laughs> but, but, but a lot of people have, have, have had over the course of their life, they've had bad experiences in churches, they've had bad experiences with pastors, they've had, had people who, who claim to be spiritual leaders who were really hypocrites or they've seen terrible church splits. And so even though they, they still believe, they're, they feel alienated from, from the church as an organization. They feel alienated from other believers, and so they try to stay away from it. And the reality is, in a lot of ways, the church as we experience it can be kind of pathetic. It, sometimes we, we experience the church and we, we discover that it's corrupt or it's tacky or it's politicized or it's kind of irrelevant to the questions we have or, or they teach all this high-minded stuff but then you get to know the people who are involved in the church and they're some of the lowest-minded people that you can ever imagine. So, so there's a lot of reasons that people have had bad experiences and even though they still want to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, they don't connect with the church at, at all. But what the Bible says over and over again is when we come to Jesus, we don't experience him and follow him as individuals. We have to experience him and follow him as, as a collective because following Christ is not an individual endeavor, first and foremost. It's a team sport. And, the, and that's the word picture he gives us here. Look again at the passage. He says, you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, and you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So he says, when you come to him, he's the living stone and you become a living stone, but together with other stones, you form this new building, this new temple, as it were, where all the living stones get organized in a row, organized into a building, and it becomes the temple of the living God, where God dwells by his spirit in our midst. So, so the metaphor is that the church, when we come together, that's the new temple. Remember the temple in the Old Testament, the temple in, in religion generally? The temple was a place where people believed God lived, right? And so if you wanted to meet with God, you had to go to the temple. There was a temple in Jerusalem where the people of Israel would go and they would offer their sacrifices. They would ask the priests to pray for them. They would participate in the, in the ceremonies. You, you, you guys remember that? Maybe you've heard of that before. So the temple was this building where you went and met with God. But the message of the New Testament is that since Jesus has come, now we go to him to meet with God. But not only that, when we go to him together, we form a new temple. And that's, that's what Peter is saying here. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we are the new temple. The church is the new place where we go to meet with God, to experience God, to connect with God, and to get to know God. And that's, that's the purpose of the church. That's why the church as a collective is important. Uh, you know, we're not just a crowd, but hopefully as God organizes us, we become one of the things, we become a body, we become an, an organized unit. Now, a lot of people say, another common thing in our generation is people say, well, I'm spiritual but not religious, or I'm just not into organized religion. And my instant response to that is, well, 
our church is very much disorganized religion, so it'll probably be, be perfect for you. Mm -hmm. but, but, but really, that's kind of a misnomer, because you know how and the only way you can get a group of people together is to organize them somehow. Maybe you've had a group of friends that got together on a regular basis, and, and, but, and usually when that happens, it's because somebody in that group of friends is really organized. And if that person who's really organized moves away or leaves that, that group of friends, then all of a sudden the whole group of friends breaks up because they're not being organized anymore. There's no organizer who's sending around the message saying, what are we doing tonight? Where are we going? Where are we going to meet up? And uh, you know, sometimes families are that way too. You, you know, Usually it's the oldest sister organizes everybody and tells everybody, okay, the family reunion is the last week of July and everybody better be there and all the little brothers are like, oh, Cancel our plans. I know where we're going to be the last week of July, big sister said. But, but if, if the big sister stops doing that, then all of a sudden the family reunions fade away. And it's like, I haven't seen that, those, that family in years now because the person who used to organize those gatherings didn't, doesn't do it anymore. Because, and on, I mean, on the other hand, you've had friends who are so disorganized that you couldn't be their friend. Some of you, some of you know people like that because, you know, you, they, 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 you'd plan to meet up on Friday night and then they would forget and they'd be asleep on the couch and so after a while you don't make plans around them because they're too disorganized to plan around. But all we say when the church is organized is, is that we're bringing people together, living stones coming together to form a spiritual house in which God dwells by his spirit and so we need chairs in a row, we need things set up, we need to agree on what time it's going to be, we need to communicate about where we're doing things and how we're, we're doing things. Uh, in the, like I say, in the Old Testament, the temple in Jerusalem was a place where you went, where you met with God, and there was a priesthood there. And the priesthood would, you'd talk to the priest and say, please pray for my mother, please pray for my daughter, please pray for my job, or whatever the questions were on your in your life. And then the priest would go before the holy place and offer those prayers on your behalf. In the New Testament, we are the temple. We all, like living stones, are being built together to be a spiritual house in which God dwells by his, by his spirit. And we are the new priesthood. We are the holy priesthood. That means you can ask anybody to pray for you. And we can pray together for the challenges that we face in life and trust that through Christ, God is hearing us. And, and, and this, this, this underlines the fact that in Christianity, in, at its very essence, as it's described in the New Testament, is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. You know, there's some sports that we play that you can play individually. Like if you like to golf, you can just go and golf. And you can, can, can if, if you want to, you can golf by yourself and play golf with all the rules and, and be a golfer. If you want to play tennis, if you want to play, uh, do, do gymnastics, you can do that individually because those are individual sports. But there's other sports like soccer or baseball where you're not a soccer player unless you're on a team or are seeking to be a part of a team. You're not a, a baseball player unless you're on a team or are looking to get on a team because you can't play soccer, you can't play baseball without being a part of a team. And what the Bible says is that our Christian life is like 
more like soccer and less like golf. It's more like baseball and less like gymnastics. It's, an in, it, it's a team sport, and part of being a Christian is being a part of a team. And so, so even though it's tempting to say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the, the, the church, the reality is following Jesus means you get in line with other followers of Christ, and it's, it's actually through your connection with other followers of Christ that Christ reveals himself to you and that you are able to serve Christ because it's, it's the team dynamic that makes our faith real, real, real to ourselves and real to one another. So that the heart of our organization is that purpose. We try to be organized. We try to develop structure. We try to all come together to point people to Christ because something supernatural happens, something spiritual happens. God works the way he's going to work when we all, like living stones, come together to become a spiritual house in which God dwells by his spirit. See, over time, church buildings go out of date. You know, you can tell something of the history of a town by looking at the church buildings. Because long after the population that building served has left there, the church will still be there. You know, in my neighborhood now, there, there's an old, uh, there's a church building that was built by the Dutch Reformed Church. And uh, some of you know where I live, but there's, there's not very many Dutch people there, let's just say. But, but, the, but the Dutch Reformed Church building is still there because, because the churches tell about the history of the church. Uh, the church buildings tell about the history of the neighborhood. But, but the gathering of the followers of Christ, the gathering of the people who believe in Christ is something that's timeless, something that transcends all culture. And as our call to worship says, that creates actually a new race, a new people of God who come together to worship him. But the heart of all this and the thing that makes this work is not the pastor or the elders or the people or things like that. The heart of all this is coming to Christ as the cornerstone. So look what he, he says in the last verse there. He says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This is the essence of the issue because churches inevitably let you down. Friends will let you down. Sometimes we have hopes and dreams and they don't work out the way that we wanted them to. But the purpose of the church, the hope of the church, the design of the church is we move people to trust in him. And people who trust in him will never be put to shame. Sometimes we find ourselves being put to shame, but it's because we put our trust in the wrong person. Sometimes we find ourselves being put in to shame, but, but it's because we put our trust in ourselves or in our own strength or in our own abilities, or we put our trust in, in individuals who are not trustworthy or organizations who are not trustworthy. But the promise of the gospel is that when we trust in Jesus, that's when our shame is taken away because it's no longer about who I am or what I've done. It's not about my strength or my abilities or my victories. It's not about how good I am or how holy I am or how generous I am or how, how successful I am. It's all about him, trusting in his success, trusting in his victory, trusting in his strength, 
and trusting ultimately in his righteousness and his grace to take away all our sins. And so what are we here for? We are buildings, we're living stones who've come to the living stone, our Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the tried and true cornerstone. And when we find ourselves being shamed because we've failed, because other people have failed us, then we need to be reminded that ultimately, essentially, and finally, we need to put our trust in him. And as we do, when we do, we will never be put to shame. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the success of Christ. I thank you that there is a cornerstone that we can trust in. And when we trust in him, we will not be put to shame. Pray for all of us as we're struggling with the shame with the disappointment, with the frustrations that life throws on us, I pray that you would help us to look back to him, to put our trust in him, and to find our hope in him. We ask in his holy name. Amen.